Welcome to Archway's Western Civilization History Podcast for Families. In our podcast, we look for the best of the West and discuss the stories, events, themes, and people that made the West different than the rest. Previously, Marie discussed the origins of the Roman Republic, their literary tradition, and I discussed how the Republic was run and the advantages it had over Athenian democracy. Today, I want to discuss a hero of the Roman Republic who became the ideal for Roman leadership, a man who was humble, selfless, dignified, and effective. His name was Cincinnatus. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should discuss Cincinnatus this week, not only because there are many leaders doing the opposite of what Cincinnatus did, but also because this week in the U.S. we celebrate the birthday of the great American hero, George Washington. And what better way to honor Washington than by learning about the hero who inspired him? The Roman Republic was founded in 509 BC. Almost 50 years later, the Republic already faced an existential threat. A central Italian tribe known as the Aquins were threatening to invade Rome. They had already surrounded the city and ravaged the fields around it. In retaliation, the Romans sent forth Naudius with an army of plebeians, who went to the Aquian lands and through nighttime raids they destroyed so much of the land the Roman historian Livy said it made the pillaged Roman lands look untouched. Another general was sent to attack the Aqui with a second army of plebeians. This general was Minucius. Minucius was so timid that he entrenched his army and didn't dare strike the Aqui forces. As a result, the Aqui took courage in his cowardice and they surrounded his army. Three Roman riders were able to escape before the Aqui tightened their noose and they ran to Rome where they told of the army's terrible predicament. With one army captured and the other out of town, the Roman Senate decided to use the powerful tool they had for dealing with emergencies, appointing a dictator. Appointing a dictator was a drastic step. It put Rome under martial law and gave the power to command the government and raise armies all to one man for a six-month time period. This was an efficient way to address emergencies, but it was an even greater danger to the Republic than the enemy surrounding it. For a selfish dictator could easily seize power and never give it back to the assemblies, senate, and consuls. And so Rome faced the external threat of the Aqui and now the internal threat of a dictator. The senators had to be very wise when choosing who could do this job. They ended up picking an elderly, retired senator, Lucius Quinctius Cincinnatus a man who had never been rich, who had served valiantly in the infantry instead of the cavalry for many years, and who now worked as a simple farmer on just four acres of land. But the Senate didn't pick him because of his wealth or his popularity. They picked him because in him were the courage and resolution equal to the majestic authority of that office. Livy introduces Cincinnatus and his story with the following comment, quote, it is worthwhile for those who despise all human interests in comparison with riches and think that there is no scope for high honors or for virtue except where lavish wealth abounds to listen to this story. Close quote. This comment tells us that those who seek riches and power would do well to learn from the example of Cincinnatus. The Senate sent a delegation to go find Cincinnatus, 
They found him on his land, digging a ditch while tending to his small farm, oblivious to the existential threat facing Rome. Quote, After mutual salutations, he was requested to put on his toga that he might hear the mandate of the Senate, and they expressed the hope that it might turn out well for him and for the state. He asked then, in surprise, if all was well, and bade his wife, Rasilia bring him his toga quickly from the cottage. Close quote. He then said a quick prayer, quote, Gods, forbid my old age from bringing loss or dishonor upon my country in her trouble. Close quote. He ran up to the city, leaving his plow standing in the field. The Senate informed him of his appointment as dictator. Reluctantly, he took up the mantle. He then proclaimed a suspension of all public and private business and ordered all shops to be closed. Next, he requested all men of military age to arrive at the Campus Martius, fully armed with five days of rations. The men hurriedly gathered to obey their dictator. The necessary supplies were quickly gathered, and those older than military age cooked food for the army. Quote, for all were eager to carry out the dictator's edict, close quote. Cincinnatus also asked one of the senators who had experience with cavalry to serve as the general of the mounted forces, since Cincinnatus's poverty had only allowed him experience with directing the infantry. Cincinnatus then led the march himself, hurrying his men along the whole way. He wanted to arrive at the enemy position by nightfall. The men were so enthusiastic to heed him, they shouted to each other, Hurry on, standard bearer! Follow up, soldiers! The dictator then rode around the enemy encampment, reconnoitering as well as he could in the night to determine the position and shape of the enemy camp. He then ordered the column to march forward and surround the enemy encampment. Mind you, they were now surrounding the enemy who had already surrounded Minuchius's army. Once the camp was surrounded, Cincinnatus ordered his men to shout and then dig in. His men let out a mighty shout that panicked the enemy and emboldened their captured allies. The Roman soldiers surrounding the Aqui then dug in with trenches and put out spears, while the captured Romans stole weapons from the panicked Aqui. The nocturnal battle commenced. Surprised by the shout, the Aqui were unsure what the enemy numbers were, and were soon harassed by their own prisoners. In a matter of hours, they were the ones captured and surrounded. Victory came swift for these Romans. By dawn, the Aqui had surrendered. Livy wrote that Cincinnatus did not want to make the Aqui extermination the price of victory, but to allow them to surrender their arms and depart in peace. And so he did. Now, despite this benevolence, Cincinnatus did want to humiliate his enemies just a bit as they left. And so he made all of them wear these fake yokes made of spears on their backs as they departed home to show that they had been subjugated by the Romans. Since the Aqui were sent off with only their shirts and these makeshift yokes, the spoils of their camp were massive. The freed Romans, under Minucius, started grabbing the enemy treasure for themselves, but Cincinnatus quickly commanded them to stop. He told them, quote, The spoils will go to my men alone. You will go without your share of the spoil this time, for you all but fell a spoil yourselves to the enemy from whom it was taken, close quote. He then demoted Minucius from a general to a lieutenant until, quote, you begin to show the spirit of a consul, close quote. Other men would have responded to this humiliation much more negatively, but Minucius and his men had such respect for the service Cincinnatus had done them, rather than of the disgrace inflicted on them, 
and so they voted to give the dictator a gold crown, a pound in weight, and when he left, they saluted him as their patron. Cincinnatus then led the army home in a triumphal procession, their chariots laden with the spoils of war, and the enemy commanders paraded in front of them. At this point, it would have been easy for the victorious Cincinnatus to remain as dictator, at least until his term expired in five and a half months. But his popularity and success combined with the continued outside threats from other tribes like the Sabines would have enabled him to likely seize power for much longer, maybe even years. But Cincinnatus sought not for power, but instead to pull it down. As a result, after just two weeks, he rescinded his dictatorship and returned to his farm. Nineteen years later, Cincinnatus was called upon to be dictator again during a famine when Maelius sought to use the dearth of grain to make himself king. Cincinnatus ordered Maelius to be brought before him for questioning. Maelius refused, and so Maelius was executed. Problem solved, and Cincinnatus resigned as dictator once more. And now, let's talk a bit about how Cincinnatus inspired George Washington. The following is an excerpt from Dr. Carl J. Richards' essay entitled The Classical Roots of the American Founding. Quote, Washington not only took notice of the fact that people compared him to Cincinnatus, but also worked consciously to promote the analogy. Washington recognized that his appeal lay not in military victories alone, but in the Republican virtue revealed in his surrender of power. Hence, Washington never offered to resign as commander of the Continental Army, even after the worst defeats, because he did not wish to spoil, by anticipation, the offer of resignation that he planned once he had, like Cincinnatus, defeated the enemy. Soon after that day arrived in 1783, Washington withdrew completely from public life, even going to the extreme of resigning from the local vestry. In his letters of 1784, Washington referred to Mount Vernon as his villa, a Latin term never before employed in allusion to his estate. Sounding like the Roman poet Horace, he referred to himself as a private citizen of America on the banks of the Potomac, under my view and my own fig tree, free from the bustle of camp and the intrigues of a court. Close quote. And so Washington not only admired and emulated Cincinnatus, but actively sought the comparison. And it worked. Like Cincinnatus, Washington became a great ideal of a hero of the Republic. He led the Continental Army to victory in the Revolutionary War, oversaw the Constitutional Convention, and served two terms as president. After each of these tasks were completed, like Cincinnatus, he gave up power and returned home to work on his farm. The French traveler Jacques-Pierre Brissot de Warville wrote, quote, You have often heard him compared to Cincinnatus. The comparison is doubtless just. The celebrated general is nothing more at present than a good farmer, constantly occupied in the care of his farm and the improvement of cultivation, close quote. The poet Philip Freneau penned a poem for Washington with the line, quote, Thus he, whom Rome's proud legions swayed, but turned and sought his sylvan shade, close quote. Thirty years later, Lord Byron eulogized Washington as, quote, the Cincinnatus of the West, close quote. And finally, in the rotunda of the state capitol in Richmond, Virginia, Washington is portrayed in civilian dress as a modern Cincinnatus standing in front of his plow.
Obviously, Cincinnatus inspired Washington, but what can we learn from Cincinnatus today? The historian Roland wrote his thoughts on the topic in his book on Roman history. He said, In Roman times, poverty was not universally practiced, but it was esteemed and honored, and not considered as a disqualification for the highest dignities of the state. The conduct of Cincinnatus during his consulship shows us what a noble nature, what constancy, and what greatness of soul inhabited a poor, wretched cottage. Close quote. Roland teaches us that humility should not be a disqualification for leadership, and that indeed it is from humility that a truly noble nature and great soul can be cultivated. Humility isn't self-degrading. You'll notice when the senators asked Cincinnatus to serve as dictator, even though he was surprised and a bit reluctant, he didn't disparage himself. He had confidence in his abilities and used them to fulfill his duty. Rather, his humility led him to recognize his own weaknesses and understand where his true strength came from. You'll notice how he knew he was old. He knew he couldn't lead the cavalry. And he knew that being a dictator could be a great temptation to him. He recognized these weaknesses, and to offset them, he prayed to the gods for help with his old age. He asked his senator friend to lead the cavalry for him, and he resigned from dictator as soon as the disaster was averted to avoid temptation. His humility also prevented him from putting himself above his men. You'll notice that he performed the reconnaissance, and he risked his life leading his troops into battle personally. When it was time to divide the spoils, he shared them evenly with his men. This humility ties into an ancient tradition the Romans had that likely also occurred during Cincinnatus' triumphal march into the city. During these victorious military parades, the soldiers would march through the streets with the spoils and the prisoners, and the victorious general was required to have a slave called an Agira hold a golden crown over his head throughout the procession. The Agira would periodically whisper into the general's ear, Memento Mori, remember that you are mortal. This practice was meant to contain the general's ego and prevent him from doing something foolish that might offend the gods. And so I leave you today with those words, Memento Mori, dear listener. Thank you for listening. Today's information comes largely from worldhistory.org slash Cincinnatus, mountvernon.org, Livy's History of Rome, Book 3, Chapters 26 to 30, and leaderomics.com, The Importance of Humility and Leadership. That's history for you. 